for the uh, invitation to come out and preach to you guys and uh, just to be involved with uh, all your lives uh, by bringing us here and asking for us. So it's a great opportunity. Um, like I said before, my name's Jordan, and uh, I want to talk to you tonight from uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. As I look around the room, um, this is probably a subject um, from this passage that most of you could probably teach me about. So uh, most of you should be up here telling me about it. But uh, um, God has something to say for us all here. Uh, and it's always a good reminder because none of us have arrived in this uh, area of our lives. Second Kings 6, we're going to start in verse 8. Second Kings 6, verse 8. It says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for, thither, for there the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. All right. We're going to stop there real quick. Uh, that's just half the story. It's leading up to what we're going to talk about. I wanted to give us a little context for where this story is kind of sitting at in the entire book of uh, of Kings. Originally, First and Second Kings in the Jewish canon, when it was first written, was just one book. All right, so it's meant to be understood. The author who wrote it, he wrote the entire thing all the way through with a purpose for both the books to be together. All right, and the book starts out talking about Solomon's kingdom. Right, right after David dies, David gives Solomon some advice. And first, about for about the first ten chapters of the book, everything is going fine. All right. The, if you remember Solomon, he asks for wisdom. God blesses him. The land becomes wealthy. Everything's going great. They have victory over all their enemies. There's peace everywhere. Temple gets built. And then it dedicates an entire chapter showing Solomon's heart for God in a prayer. An entire chapter dedicated to one prayer by one man. And uh, it goes on. But then in chapter 10 and 11, um, he sins and he turns to other idols. And everything goes downhill from there. The rest of First Kings is just... It's all about how everything fell apart after the people were disobeyed. And uh, from there on out, God starts showing how much he, how much, how jealous he is for his own people and how much he cares for them, despite how wicked they become. Despite, no matter how far a, heart, a king's heart gets away from him in serving Baal, like Ahab being the worst example, you continually see God coming back to try and persuade them, to convince them to return to him. And he calls them to repent and uh, to stop worshiping other idols. All right. And now 2 Kings, uh, where they split it, kind of starts, picks up the story again where Elisha is. And through this, this part of the book is leading up to the high point where God just really kind of shows that by the end of the book, when he's judging them um, and sending them into captivity to Assyria and to Babylon, um, by he's showing that he is just for what he's done throughout this entire book. All of his goodness in pursuing these people, despite their wickedness, he's showing the Jewish exiles that, you know, I was just for judging you all. 
because you sinned repeatedly against me, even though I was trying to convince you to come back, despite me blessing you. And this story is just one of those small blessings, or a rather big blessing, um, that, uh, um, that God did for uh, the, the people of Israel, for the king of Israel who didn't believe his name was Jehoram. We'll talk a little bit about him at the end, but let's pick up the story again. So, so far, in verse 8 to verse uh, 12 or 13, we see there's predicament. The king of Syria, he comes out and he wants to raid or attack Israel. He, set, set, he tells his advisors, let's set up our camp here in this area. While Elisha goes and tells the king of Israel, oh, hey, don't go over there. They're setting up their camp over there. So if you go there, you could be in some trouble. So the king of Israel, he actually goes there, sneak attacks, and he wrecks all the Syrians' plans. And they're not too happy about it. So the king of Syria wants to find out, hey, is there a spy amongst us or something? One of his servants comes and tells him that it's not that any of us have betrayed you. It's that this guy, Elisha, is, knows everything that you say in your bedchamber. So it, it, what he's saying, um, so it's just that God is revealing everything to Elisha. So he... Um, this king of is this king of Syria thinks he can somehow conquer God, who's already telling his Elisha everything that's coming. He thinks, oh, let's go capture this guy then. Despite he's already failed to do anything to Israel itself, he's going to try and get the guy who has who is receiving prophecy and the future, uh, future revelations of the future from God. So it's kind of funny that he thinks he's going to go capture this guy. All right, so let's continue reading. Um, there, they go up down to Dothan in verse 13, and it says, Therefore sent he, the king of Syria, thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. All right, so we have, this is our, this is, we're getting to the core of the story. They surround this city with chariots, right? And back then, that was the big, like, that was the big deal. Chariots were the best thing you could have at your side in a battle. And they surround the city with them. It's like us surrounding a town with tanks or something like that. I mean, this village is probably only around um, three to 500 people. So the hope of these people being surrounded, and Elisha being surrounded by several hundred chariots, I mean, there's no hope. What are you going to do? All right. Have any of you been in a difficult circumstance or a trial that just seemed like, how will I ever get through this? I think we all have been at some point. So, uh, most of you have been through more than what I have at this point in your lives. But... Um, uh, we're going to see what the responses of some of these people are uh, to this situation, okay? And then we're going to see what we can do as uh, from their example, all right? So since um, it says they compassed the city about, and when the servant of the man of God, the servant of Elisha, was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And a servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? What are we going to do? All right. He sees this difficult situation. There's Dawn is probably just cracked and you can see all these chariots and the standards, the flags and such marking them as Syrian. He's just like, what are we going to do? This poor little servant who's dedicated his life to serving Elisha, who doesn't really have much. If you've read through Second Kings, you know he's a poor guy. I mean, what are they going to do? They've got the clothes on their back and maybe a couple walking staffs. Um, to assist them with their daily travels and stuff. What are they going to do? Um, and that's my first example is uh, believers shouldn't fear. We're going to see what happens in a little bit. Most of you probably already know. But from this servant, we should learn that we don't need to fear 
um, trials and tribulations that are going to come, all right? And this is why. It says, Elisha answered in verse 16, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them, all right? So this little servant, he's got to think Elisha's kind of crazy. He's like, who's with us? It's me and you. Like, what are we going to do against all these chariots? What are you talking about? Are you crazy? But uh, this is what Elisha does. And this is my second point. Instead of being afraid like his servant, this is what Elisha does. And Elisha prayed. All right. Believers should pray and during uh, difficult circumstances when they're overcome and they don't know what to do. Even when we think we know what we should do. Um, his first response to it is he prays. And he said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. All right, so all these wooden chariots are surrounded by chariots of fire that are way more than any of the Syrian amount. That's incredible. So this guy, he goes from being blind, and he sees the truth, all right? And that's what, that's the even, the only reason why Elisha even prayed is because he knew who God was. All right. And he's already received through his entire life. You already know he trusts God, but he knows exactly who God is. God has been revealing the future to him already, as we saw in verse eight. And then he knows he sees these chariots. He knows God is stronger. He has faith. And that's why he prays. All right. I want to encourage you guys too, as you meet more difficulties in your life, as I meet more difficulties in my life, I need to have faith and I need to act on that faith in believing what God says about himself, who he is, and live in light of that. Instead of forgetting who God is or not believing who God says he is and just being afraid or giving up in the difficult times and forsaking everything that um, I may have believed before, instead of doing that, I should believe what God says and, and live in light of that of who he is, and I should pray to him for help since I know he can deliver me from anything, all right? That's Elisha's mindset. That is the mind of faith. That is the mind of prayer, believing who God is and what he says about himself and trusting him. So pray. um, As believers, we should pray when circumstances uh, are difficult and filled with uh, um, problems that we don't think we can conquer. So let's keep reading the story and see what happens, because Elisha just keeps praying. And he says, uh, so the servant, his eyes are opened. He sees the truth, who God is, and what, um, how strong he is. And when they came down to him, so all these chariots come down unknowing. They don't know that they're surrounded by fiery chariots. Elisha prays again unto the Lord. And he said, smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. So God just did what he said or what he asked. And Elisha said unto them, this is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom ye seek. But he led them to Samaria. All right. So he tricks them. He tells them, you know what? Um, You guys didn't come to Dothan. You're in the wrong spot. I'll lead you to where you want to go. Why they do that, you don't know, but they are blind. So they're going to trust anybody at this point. Um, yeah, trusting a, 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 Jew, a person from a Jewish town is just an, a weird thing to do when you've been attacking them for several decades. Funny thing. Um, this entire story is kind of funny like that because at the end it makes a point about who's really blind because this servant has been blind, um, but his eyes are opened. And now these soldiers are blind, but their eyes are going to be opened again, as you see soon. 
So in verse 19, it says, but he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were come into Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria, the capital of their greatest enemy. That's a bad day. You got, you're all in your chariots thinking, yeah, we're the best. We got the best war vehicle on the face of this planet. We're doing great. We got to capture one little guy. And now you're in the capital of the enemy without your chariots or anything like that. And now we're going to, we're going to learn something new about this king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, where, when he saw them, my father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And Elisha answered, you shall not smite them. Would you smite those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared a great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. All right, and the last point I want to make is about this king of Israel because he's been involved in the story so far. And I won't go into all the detail of what um, has been going on with um, and what his involvement of the story. But the big characters in this are Elisha and God. They're almost interchangeable because um, God's the one empowering Elisha. Um, and then the king of Israel, and then there's a few other minor characters throughout that pop up. But this big thing is between God, through second kings, is between this king Jehoram and between Elisha and God. All right. And this king of Israel, as soon as he sees these guys come in, his instant reaction is to do something selfish. He wants to kill off his enemies. He wants to cover all of his bases to make sure he's safe. All right. And Elisha points something out to him and is that, hey, if you capture these guys, you wouldn't be killing them. So he's trying to take something that God did, which was a blessing to Elisha and everyone else. And now he's trying to just benefit himself. He's trying to use God. All right. Um, throughout the story, you see this. Um, I will go. There's another example in um, um, Second Kings chapter 3. They're in a big battle with Syria. or uh, No, it's Moab actually. They're in a fight with Moab, and he's constantly accusing God, God, you've led us astray. You've led us out into this desert to die. Um, and then God blesses him and gives him the victory over his enemies, but he doesn't really care. He's just glad that he got the benefit. And you see this continue as a pattern. He just doesn't really, he'll do everything God says, but he's only doing it when, he, when it benefits him, when he, it pleases him. All right, and that's what I, the, my last thing is, I uh, just want to tell you is the believers shouldn't um, use God to meet their own ends like this king of Israel does. Um, it's just a short little snippet here, but throughout the entire story, I can tell you that um, this king of Israel is just a selfish guy that just wants God to do um, what he wants when it pleases him. So as you go to pray, don't pray selfishly like Paul and Jesus have told us, but um, don't, uh, but do it in belief and in the will of God. Pray in, in according to what you know God would want instead of praying selfishly. So, um, and uh, one last thing from this story. So you can kind of see uh, this story is kind of talking about prayer and relying on, um, relying on God through that. Um, and I just want to, as we do pray, uh, just seeing this example, it's almost a, a, a um, what's the word I want to say? A, it's like a, uh, 
a foreshadowing of something coming in the future when Jesus tells us to pray for an, to instead of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but to pray for our enemies and bless them that which curse you. Here we just see this example that Elisha lets these enemies of Israel, these enemies of God who don't believe, uh, lets them go three, free and actually feeds them and like blesses them in accordance to that. So um, nowadays we don't need to be praying um, impeccatory prayers against other people, but um, we should pray for the benefits of our enemies, even if they don't believe or if they don't help us in any way. So whenever you guys face um, difficulties, when people oppose you, when people attack you, when they spread rumors about you behind your back, when they badmouth you, whatever it is, um, as you pray, um, bless and um, love those who oppose you, who have caused you difficulty, which is the most difficult thing to do. As I've had to face with all sorts of teenagers who secretly are sinning behind your back, think they're getting away with it. Sometimes they do get away with it. I'm not all-knowing in any way. Um, but And then having to help them anyways is just the hardest thing to do, uh, to give them the chance that God keeps giving them. Um, it's just a reminder that I want to give you guys is um, maybe with your own children, maybe they're walking astray or just whatever it is. Um, trust God, love your enemies. Um, he'll take revenge and uh, just keep praying. Um, that's the whole point of this passage is uh, God just wants to remind you that, you know what, I can do all things, but I just want you to trust me in all these difficult situations. So um, I'll, uh, I'll pray and uh, I guess we'll be uh, dismissed. Okay. Or I think we have one more song, don't we? No? Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this uh, helpful uh, reminder and promise from you that you are all-knowing and that you are all-powerful and you are able to overcome any situation that we are in, whether it's uh, um, difficulties just in life, not just don't have a job or if I don't have uh, the money or if I'm sick or if I'm uh, just whatever it is with people, um, estranged from family, children rebelling. Uh, just spiritually, I feel dead and that your word is empty to me. Whether it be any of those things, help us all to remember that you are powerful enough to deliver us, to help us in any circumstance. You've showed that repeatedly through your word, and especially in Second Kings, you continually show your care for your own people. Um, in chapter 4, for that widow, uh, whose husband died and uh, was going her sons were going to be sold into save, slavery, but you came, brought Elisha, and gave her a ton of oil, uh, just a bucket of oil that kept pouring out until all the jars were filled, and she sold it and was able to pay off the debt and had extra left over. And then even in this same chapter, Second Kings 6, um, you've shown that you care for... Um, this king, and yet you're always trying to make them repent, but you care about the little people when this little, uh, um, this little poor prophet who's living on the River of Jordan trying to build a little house for them to all live in, when he lost a borrowed axe head made of iron that fell in the river, you helped him through Elisha and made that iron head float in the river so he could get it back and not have to um, suffer the penalty of paying back the friend that he borrowed an iron axe head from, which was so valuable back then. Um, you care about the little things and the big things. When you're shaping nations and when you're 
it seems like my little life is falling apart, but uh, you're always there to help us. So I just pray you'd help me to remember that and help everyone here to remember that, that prayer does matter and uh, you are totally able to deliver us from any situation. In your name, amen.